Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 254. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. We're well into December now. Hope you've recovered from your solo, isolated gorge fest that is a Tuesday, basically, during pandemic. But also we had the Thanksgiving holiday not that long ago. Hopefully by now you've actually gotten out and moved to work off some of those calories. And if not, you know what? You do you, right? This is a weird year, 2020, for those of you listening in the future. If it's far in the future, you'll think all of this discussion is quaint, perhaps. Uh Oh, those silly uh, 2020 humans. Remember when they thought they had it bad? They had got nothing on us. Or you're living in some sort of utopia where you can't even conceive of things being as weird as they are in 2020. And, you know, what? maybe even you've moved beyond podcasts and aren't listening to this at all. Well, that's kind of a bleak thought, ironically, for a utopia, at least a podcaster in a utopia. Let's all just take a moment to regroup. Okay, I feel better now. No real news this week. Uh, not much going on. I have a new book out. Those of you on the social media... Uh, my social media, no, because I've been bothering you with posts about it uh, a fair amount lately. Sorry about that. It's just part of the promotion process you got to do when a book comes out. Hell's Serial, very short stories, fortified with essential syllables, is available right now. Actually, hold on. When this episode is coming out, it is not technically released, but it is available for pre-order from, should be, pretty much anywhere that you get your books. Um, and if it's not on the store shelves at the bookstore you like, well, go complain, for goodness sakes. Put on your mask and stop down there and and demand hell cereal on your whatever shelf they put short story collections on. By golly, do it today. Seriously, though, if you do buy the collection, um, make sure you leave a review on uh, some bookish website or Goodreads or something to let people other people know if you like the book. Let me know if you like the book, but even more importantly... Let other people know, and you do that by posting on Goodreads or website, you know, where you order the book, that kind of thing, uh, because it helps the book get noticed by other people. So thanks for that. And that's really the only news I have right now, because there's absolutely nothing going on in the world. So I did read a thing about how supposedly Trump occasionally poops his pants, and that was disturbing. Anyway, that's the only other news that really caught my attention lately. New book, Poopy Trump Pants. That's where my head is right now because really, it's hard to handle any more serious news than that. Okay, on that poopy note, let's get on to this week's game. This week's game is Elevator Action. Not the homebrew, not the the updated one. I've never actually seen that one, although I'd be curious after playing the prototype, which is what we're talking about today, the 1983 prototype Atari 2600 port of the arcade game from Taito. It's a port that was developed, it was never released because it it fell right at that time that ownership at Atari changed, and it just never got released. Of course, 83 was kind of the beginning of the end for, you know, mainstream Atari anyway, so it just kind of fell through the cracks, which is unfortunate, as we'll talk about. So I believe it was updated later, like a homebrew thing, like I said. Uh, I've never seen that one, but there was enough promise in this prototype that I think I may go seek that out. The prototype port, like I say, Developed in 83, 
never officially released, and then mysteriously reappeared uh, and was sold at the Classic Gaming Expo in 2001 in, I'm guessing, as I said last week, some sort of weird late-night trench coat parking garage exchange of this prototype. Maybe the same person who put on a trench coat, maybe in the other pocket of his trench coat. One pocket he had, Fellowship of the Rings, of the Ring, Journey to Rivendell from last week's episode. In the other pocket he had Elevator Action. I don't really know. Um, but that's how I picture it in my head. So it got sold then at Classic, Classic Game Expo in 2001. And the public finally got to see what this game was or could have been. There's not really an instruction manual for this that I know of. The premise is pretty straightforward. You're a spy. I think you're Agent 17 or something. Oh, the game was developed, by the way. Dan Hitchens was the programmer. Yeah, so you're Agent 17, codename Otto. Although when I look at this little sprite on the screen, I don't get an auto vibe from him. Uh, like I said in the field report, which you'll hear shortly, describe how he really looks to me more like sort of the uh, the, the skinny, uh, sort of nasally sounding shoeshine guy or newspaper delivery guy or something in, in all those 1940s type detective stories. You know, the, the hard-boiled detective shakes down her information. It looks like that guy with sort of the jaunty cap and whatnot. But anyway, your Agent 17, codename Otto. Your goal is to grab all the top secret documents from a 30-story building and then get to the getaway car at the bottom. Although, I'm looking at this game, and the bottom seems to be the basement? So I'm not sure how you get to the getaway car. I haven't made it that far in the little bit that I played around with it today. There are enemy spies, I guess. Enemy agents of some sort all over the place. You can shoot them. You can crush them with an elevator, which moves up and down really agonizingly slowly through the middle of the, the game field. Or you can shoot out the ceiling lights, which sounds really cool. Although I couldn't actually figure out how to get my guy to shoot, you know, sort of the diagonal up that it needed to happen to, uh... Oh, just occurred to me. I didn't actually try, and it should be obvious, to just stand under a light and shoot straight up. But no, that wouldn't work, because if you move your joystick up, it just moves your guy. I don't know. If anyone knows how to shoot out the ceiling lights, let me know. Along the way, you encounter numerous elevators, which you must ride down to the lower floors. Like I said, it moves agonizingly slowly. The enemy can also ride the elevators and will attempt to crush you with them or shoot you. I think they can shoot you when you're on the elevator, but you can't shoot them. Um, there are also escalators on the lower levels, which take you down one level but leave you exposed to gunfire. Scattered throughout the building are red doors, which contain the top secret documents. Okay, I was right. When I was playing, I was like, well, where are these documents? And then I finally did find a red door and went in there. Although you don't actually go in anywhere, but the you touch it and the red disappears. You have to grab all the documents before you get to the bottom of the building or you'll be forced to go back up and retrieve documents that you missed. That's basically the game. There is some weirdness to it. Your guy can fly, it seems. He has a major hang time. You can jump over bullets and just kind of hang in the air and move around and stuff. You can also duck under the bullets. Basically, all you do to, to go up and just hover, you just push your joystick up and just hold it there. And then, like I said, you can move left and right, flying in a way uh, as you do. You can also do the reverse, which is basically kneeling down and kind of scooting along the floor. One of the things I read described this as a bug, that it wasn't a an intended feature. It was just a bug of, of the unfinished game. Hmm. Something I read said that you can make your character invincible if you push up while your character is in the death animation. I mean, you just got shot. You break out of the death cycle and jump instead. I don't know that I ever noticed that, at least not intentionally. I probably did it without knowing that I did it. 
one thing you notice right away when you play the uh, the prototype, there's no sound. That's one of the things they didn't finish. So it's a little eerie to play this game that looks like a game that would definitely have some sort of music or something, or at least the sounds of the uh, the bullets firing or hitting you or you know the the uh, some sort of um, sting when you get shot or something. But no, there's nothing. On the field report, I tried to get Henry to sing a song while I was playing, but he wouldn't do it. You know, kids today, man. So that's basically the game. And that, I guess, is how you play Elevator Action from Atari. Only not, because they never released it. I'm not rich or famous. I'm not a movie star, rock icon, first responder, nurse, doctor, or anybody else whom we all look up to. I'm just a schnook. Just like Bill, I love to tell stories. Unlike Bill, though, I'm not creative enough to write my own, so I just tell my own real-life stories in this book-read-by-the-author-style podcast, all about life lessons growing up, and every episode, a segment about music. Music that I love, artists that I admire, and sometimes even my own music. You can find Autobiography of a Schnook on all your favorite podcast suppliers, or you can go to schnookpodcast.com. That's S-C-H-N-O-O-K podcast.com. And I firmly believe the good goes around, and I sincerely hope that Autobiography of a Schnook proves to be some good that goes around your way. The Elevator Action arcade game from Taito, I think, also came out in 1983. It was a huge success exceeding sales expectations at the time of release, has been ported to a variety of systems and has multiple sequels, and has appeared on multiple Taito compilations. It was released in Japan around June of 83 and North America around October. While also sold as a dedicated cabinet in America, it was Taito's first game to be sold as a conversion kit in America. The first port, I guess, that actually got released was to the family computer by Mitronics, published in Japan June 28, 85, later released on in North America on the NES around 87, uh, Sega, Spec- uh, ZX Spectrum, Amstrad, CPC, Commodore 64. In 91, a version of Elevator Action was made for the Game Boy, which retained the gameplay of the original, but included new gameplay elements like power-ups and new weapons. There was a mobile version uh, for mobile phones, April 15th of 2004. The Famicom NES version was re-released in 2007 for the Wii in Japan and in North America. Re-released exclusively in Japan for the Wii U, been on the PlayStation 4 and Nintendo Switch, and is included in the compilations Title Legends, Title Memories Gaiken, Title Memories Pocket, and Title Legends Power Up. A sequel called Elevator Action Returns, perhaps not the most creative title, was released in arcades in 94. Elevator Action EX is an updated version of the game released for the Game Boy Color in 2000. Elevator Action Old and New, a further update for the Game Boy Advance, published in 2002, and in 2009, Elevator Action Death Parade is a light gun shooter that uses elevator doors when changing scenarios. A later remake, titled Elevator Action Deluxe, a lot of these titles are not the most creative titles ever, uh, was released on the PlayStation Network in 2011. The game contains single-player and multiplayer modes, as well as the original arcade game. So Atari Protoss describes this how this went down, uh, the release of this game went down, was there was a, a mention on a message board that the game was being released or that it was out which of course caused fans to go into a frenzy but turned out to be an elaborate april fool's day joke but then there was a chance meeting with an ex-atari programmer in which uh, someone got a hold of an actual prototype 
and when this story came up, people were were uh, wary. They didn't believe that either. But then the game was revealed at the Philly Classic, and collectors got to see one of the true lost classics of the 2600. Proto says the 2600 was able to simulate the look and feel of the arcade version fairly well. Graphics are bright and well done, and the gameplay, bugs aside, is almost an exact copy of the arcade. The programmer was able, even able to get multiple agents, uh, enemy agents on the screen at the same time, if only in one color, without much flicker. Far better than most thought the 2600 was capable of. Unfortunately, this version still has a long way to go before being a final product and is riddled with multiple bugs. Most obviously, there ain't no sound. And no music. He mentions the flying thing, that glitch, which actually kind of, I think, adds a weird little element to the game. Some other bugs to watch for, according to Protoss, are wraparound bullets, walking across open elevator shafts, and walking into the sides of escalators. Yeah, I noticed that too. You can also see the super secret 31st level by push-up, by pushing up in just the right spot on the roof. If done correctly, your character will ride an invisible escalator into the air, and the screen will show a bunch of garbage. The elevators are also a bit buggy in this version, and will sometimes take a minute or two to come up to your level. Be patient, though. If you wait, they will come. Yeah, the slow elevators are really frustrating. Elevator action is an amazing bit of programming, given how limited the 2600's resources were. It's obvious Atari had a winner on its hand, but like so many 2600 arcade-to-home translations, it was left unfinished. Had Atari held all its games to high standards like Elevator Action, they might have been able to stave off the crash a bit longer. Okay. Speaking of sound and music, when I think of Elevator Action, all I can think of is Aerosmith loving an elevator. Seriously, that's all I think of. To the exclusion of the game, work, family, hygiene. And now that I've said the name of that song, that's all you're thinking of too. Ha! According to songfacts.com, Love in an Elevator was on the album Pump from 1989, a song about love, elevators, and the combination thereof. Lyrically, Aerosmith has some songs with a deeper meaning, but many of their songs have fun lyrics set to tracks that show off their music, music, musicianship. As Steven Tyler tells it, this one was inspired by one of his pre-sobriety days when he found himself in a hotel hot tub with a bevy of women. Yeah, I think we've all been there. When they moved the party to his room, they piled into the hotel elevator wearing nothing but towels and bathrobes. One of the ladies decided to have some fun and push all the buttons in the elevator. Other guests in hotels love it when people do that. Uh, doing this uh, pushed the, brought the elevator down to the lobby. When one of the girls opened her robe to show Tyler her goods, the elevator doors opened, giving the crowd, crowded lobby a look. Again, man, I think we've all been there. Tyler wrote the song with Aerosmith guitarist Joe Perry. Musically, it was a fusion of different ideas that came up with uh, they came up with at a jam session. Buddy Miles was an influence. Tyler came up with the lyrics, but was concerned the title was too juvenile. Perry pointed out that they already had a song called "Dude Looks Like a Lady," which worked out very well for them. So they went with "Love in an Elevator." All five members of Aerosmith sing the last chorus a cappella in live performance. They all sing into the same microphone. Weirdly. Uh, given a song inspired by naked women in a hot tub in Disney World Orlando, Florida, this song is played in some cars on the rock and roll, uh, rock and roller coaster, with the lyrics altered to "love in a roller coaster." I'm gonna guess Steven Tyler's done that too. Riders join a virtual Aerosmith on a trip to the Forum. There you go. If any of you have been in a hot tub with a bunch of women, that you know what? Never mind. After the break. Are we moving on up or going on down? Just stand quietly, don't make eye contact, and try not to fart. 
out in an elevator, or possibly like it just as friends. We'll find out. Title screen, elevator action, 1983, the unfinished prototype. Uh, unfinished, for example, in the sense that there's no sound. Henry has agreed to sing a song throughout the whole field report, though. What? No? Man. Alright, well, we'll muddle through somehow. There's our man, who's supposed to be a spy, number 17 or something. He's got a jaunty little cap. He looks more like a, uh, the, the guy in a 1940s detective story, the guy on the street that the detective goes to uh, shake down for information. Or maybe he looks like a newsie from uh, the Newsies. Oop. Shot that spy. Shot that spy. Our man has some major hang time. The elevator's kind of slow. I'm pretty sure that bullet went over that spy's head, but it killed him anyway. Uh, I think I was saying the elevator is pretty slow. Because it is. Looking for spy papers. Fifth floor. Housewares. Lingerie and spy papers. You're supposed to be able to shoot out the ceiling lights, but I haven't figured out how to angle my shot to do that. Ow. I did better the first time I played it. Weirdly, the screen goes black every time your guy gets killed. Bullets move really slow. I like the look of this game, actually. It's simple, but it's effective. The movements of your guy are pretty good. That's the end of the game. Let's try this again. Up on the rooftop, click, click, click. Down through the chimney with old Saint Nick. We watched the Santa Claus last night. Very festive, delightful film. Uh-oh, I lost the elevator now. Man. I played this a little bit before we recorded. I have not seen any spy papers yet. Anything that looks like a spy paper. Um, the colors are basic primary colors, right? You got green, blue, red. I don't know what's up with this red door. I guess maybe that was a spy paper? And then I died. There's the basement. Reminds me, the escalator thing there reminds me a little bit of the steps in the Atari version of Popeye. Uh, when you're on the, uh, on the ship. Is that number at the bottom of the screen it keeps going down? Does that mean like 
the number of spy papers that I'm collecting, I'm a little confused. That was weird. Alright. So I can go down the escalator, but I can't go up the escalator. I would like to shoot through the wall, Henry. The power of positive thinking. That's a spy paper. No? Hmm. Well, I guess we got a good feel of what's going on. That's elevator action. There was an elevator, there was some action. We'll discuss more momentarily. Back to you in the studio. Hey Atari fans, this is Michael, one of the hosts of the Atari XEGS Cart by Cart podcast. Join Bill, David, Kieran, and myself as we review cartridge-based games for the Atari's last answer, the 8-bit gaming system, as well as delve deep into their history. Kieran will also introduce everyone to the UK's budget games. You can listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's xegs, the number 8, bit.com. Hey, let's take a break from you listening to me talk so that you can listen to me talk. Hell's Serial, Very Short Stories Fortified with Essential Syllables, is the new short story collection from, well, me. Every box, or book, is chock full of bite-sized stories in every genre from sci-fi to fantasy to literary fiction to cheesy spy stories and everything in between. Zombies in Love, Twisted Car Races, and the aforementioned devilish breakfast food are just some of the tasty bites you'll find. Toy surprises? You bet. How about social commentary and the meaning of life? Beats a Dakota ring any day. With both funny stuff and drama, Hell's Cereal gives you the marshmallows and the toasted oat flakes. Oh, and words. Lots of those, too. Pick up Hell's Cereal, very short stories fortified with essential syllables, wherever you'd like to get your books. Not cereal. So, here's the thing about elevator action. I like this game. I like the promise of the game. I am going to definitely seek out the uh, the self-published version because this game does have a lot of promise. What's there is fun, but you can clearly see that it's not done, even without sound. I could do, I could live without the sound. A lot of times the sounds in Atari games kind of suck anyway, so I could do without that. But just the gameplay itself, if, if it was finished, I think it'd be a lot of fun. Uh, I do really like that they have a bunch of enemies on the screen at one time. I like the movement. Of the, of the guy, even if they kept in the bug that lets your guy fly. I think it's pretty cool. I like the way he moves. I like that he can jump and kneel and evidently he can shoot out ceiling lights, although I didn't figure out how to do that. I, I like a lot about this game, and it's one of those that, like everybody else, I am sad that it was never finished. If you have thoughts about elevator action, or Aerosmith, or anything else for that matter, get a hold of me in one of the various ways that you can do that, which we'll talk about at the end of the show. It's story time on Atari Bites. Yes, it's story, 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 story time with Bill. This week's story is titled Floored. The elevator door slid open on the ground floor of the Van Huffle building and Constance took a moment to steady herself. She was a wee bit nauseous. She would never admit this, of course. 
she had enough problems without giving her co-workers another thing to kid her about. She was the new kid in the shop, eager to prove herself. After college, she never expected to get to this point, to this kind of work. But here she was, and today was her big day to prove she could do the job. Constance shifted a bit awkwardly in high boots that were a size too large, and waited. The elevator door started to close when a large, thin hand gently blocked the doors to push them open again. As the doors retreated, another hand appeared holding a small cup of chain coffee house coffee. The hands were attached to Eddie, age 34. He wore a plaid coat and permanently tousled hair. He smiled apologetically at Constance. Sorry, he muttered and took a position to Constance's left, both staring up the numbers overhead as the doors closed and the elevator launched. Constance cleared her throat and took a mental self-evaluation. She was ready as she, could ever, as she was ever going to be. She plastered a smile on her face and turned to Eddie. Hey, stranger, in the mood for some excitement, she said, except that she said it in French. When American-English speaker Eddie nodded politely but didn't respond, Constance assessed and recalibrated. My friend, she said in English, I can show you some amazing things. The elevator dinged and the doors slid open. I'm good, thanks, Eddie said politely enough and skittered away to his appointment. As the door slid closed, Constance's smile crumbled. Why was this so hard? Why was it so hard to get a man to come with her? She looked deeply into the reflective surface of the elevator's back wall, smoothing the folds of her dress as she assessed that what she saw was in order. Clearly, she would have to be more aggressive. Later that day, Eddie exited his chiropractor's office on the fourth floor of the Salamander building. A new spring in his step. He reached for the down button for the elevator. Constance beat him to it. Allow me, she said. Hey, Eddie said, puzzled recognition dotting his face. It's you from this morning. It's me, Constance said. Small world, huh? I guess, Eddie said, looking around in hopes of there being another elevator. There was not. You know, Constance said, I can make your world so much bigger. Um, Eddie said. Come with me, Eddie, Constance said, looking into his eyes. Come with me now. We can go to paradise together. She took a step toward Eddie as he took a step back. How do you... How do you know my name? Eddie said. Because I need you, Eddie, Constance said. You have no idea how much. Yeah, so thanks, Eddie said. But I think I'll take the stairs. The adjustment he just got from Dr. Emil facilitated Eddie's quick exit to the stairway. Constance sunk back against the wall and slid to the floor. The elevator dinged and the doors slid open as if mocking her. Not now, she said, waving her arm irritably. The elevator door slowly slid closed. Constance was worried. She was running out of time. If she didn't turn Eddie's head, and soon, she didn't want to think about what would happen. The next night, Eddie checked into the Howell Hotel, Bismarck's premier hotel for the discriminating traveler. He rode the elevator to the 18th floor, duffel over one shoulder, keycard brandished in the hand of the other arm. He was so excited to be attending the yearly Morning Woody's convention, a club for fans of nature and morning television talk shows. Beloved Today Show weatherman Al Roker was slated to give the keynote for the weekend, and Eddie had only just arrived in time. Eddie approached room 1801, the coveted next-to-the-elevator room, holding out his keycard. The door to 1803 swung open and Constance stepped out. Eddie might have squeaked a little. Hurry up and stick your thing in the slot, Constance said. She smiled the smile of someone in a hurry, but trying not to look like it. Eddie dropped his keycard. Why are you following me? 
Eddie said. Then, second-guessing himself since he'd never had a woman look for him once, much less seek him out more than once before. So he said, You are following me, right? I need you, Constance said. I can show you a great time. Just get in the elevator with me and let's go. Sights, sounds, tastes, and smells, the likes of which you've never experienced, await you. Just come. Look, lady, Eddie said, trying real hard to affect a macho voice. Macho. Macho, right? That's still a thing guys do, right? Do they call it something else now? Eddie wasn't sure, so he plowed ahead. You're nice, and cute, and weird, he said, but I... Uh, leave me alone. Constance stood straighter and hit the call button on the elevator. There are wonders to be seen that you can't imagine, she said. Just look at this. She opened her robe. Eddie's eyes widened at the sight as he bolted for the staircase. Eighteen flights would be nothing, thanks to Dr. Emil. Eddie figured he could hide out the Hoda Kotb breakout session in the convention. Back on the eighteenth floor, the belt of Constance's robe dragged on the floor, at the ready to mop Constance's tears. She had failed. As if she didn't know this already, the little voice within told her so. You suck, a gravelly robotic voice said. I tried, Constance said. Whatever, Bull said. Bull was a 14-inch tall robot who emerged from Constance's ever-expanding navel and gently landed on his feet on the floor. Given where he resided, Constance would call him Bowel sometimes. He didn't think it was funny. And today, especially, Bull wasn't in a laughing mood. The universe is still doomed. Constance's navel slammed closed as the elevator doors opened. Well, you could have said something, Constance said petulantly. I didn't want to bring you out. He ran away because of you, you know. Humans don't like belly button robots. Racists, the robot muttered. Constance closed her robe, then opened it again when belly button robot Spiral unspooled from her navel and coiled to the floor. Darling, Spiral exclaimed. Spiral, Bull said coldly. There was tension there that the end of the universe didn't allow time to explore. So we didn't get Eddie. What do we do now? Constance said. The elevator car hadn't moved, much to the chagrin of the morning woodies on the lower floors. Bull pointed to the back wall of the elevator, which gave way to the vast expanse of time and space, and much of it was on fire. What do we do? We watch it burn. That's what we do. Constance and the two miniature robots considered this. Suddenly, Constance jumped. Is my brother Flatiron coming out? Bull said, somewhat alarmed. No, Constance said, excited, but I think the universe is saved. Spiral bounced in anticipation. How? How? Easy, Constance said. George Stephanopoulos is at this conference, right? The robots nodded knowingly. And the universe was saved. For now. Hi, this is 8-Bit Rocket, Jeff Fulton, from the Into the Vertical Blank Generation Atari podcast. And you are listening to the incomparable William Pepper and his wonderful stories of the game within a game on the Atari Bytes podcast. When you are done here, come visit us in the Vertical Blank. Now, back to Bill. And that's our show. 
Thanks to Kevin McLeod and Competech.com for Creative Commons' use of his songs, Reformat, Take a Chance, and Pinball Spring. Thanks to Sean Courtney for the Storytime theme. Head on up to the penthouse that is Apple Podcasts, press all the buttons in the elevator before you send it back down, and leave an uplifting five-star review of this podcast. Email the show at AtariBytes2016 at gmail.com, like the show on our Facebook page, follow the show on Twitter at AtariBytes, or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. Also, check us out on Instagram. And don't forget, you can still call us. We're never going to answer the phone, but you can leave a voicemail at 563-265-1978 about pretty much anything you want, and I'll probably play it on the show. Check out the website, www.carnivalofgleecreations.com, for information and links to this show. For my other show, it's a podcast, Charlie Brown. For information about books that I've written, places you can order them, information about other stuff that I've done, all of that in one's place out there on the internets. Uh, consider supporting the show financially by becoming a subscriber on the Atari Bytes Patreon page. Patrons get stuff. My thanks to begin with, but you could, at the $2 level, you could get access to episodes early instead of waiting for the day they come out officially. You could, at the $3 level, get bonus stuff, starting with the field report, a video of the field report. Uh, for the games that we do every week, as well as other things that we throw up there occasionally that we hope you might like. We don't talk much about the $4 level, but the $4 level, you can suggest games for me to play and storyfy. So consider doing that if you're so inclined. Thanks. And as always, I remind you that the most important reason to become a patron is to keep an eye on the existing patrons, because they're up to no good, I suspect. And they include Michael Tyler, Jose Gazeta, Sean Courtney, Aerospike, M. West, and Jim Goebel. Thanks to all of them. Don't touch the good silverware. All right, that's about it until the next episode. Uh, all that's left is to tell you what we're doing on that episode. Next time on Atari Bytes. Air Raid. Not to be confused with Air Raiders, which we played a few episodes back. I was confused for a bit, trying to figure out, are these the same game? But they're apparently not. Uh, so we're going to play Air Raid next week. I don't know anything about it, except that there's some air, and it gets raided. That's about all I know. So we'll explore that together next time on the podcast. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.